Hello, everybody from the CC and JT Maternity Ward. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not us. <laughs> no, it's not us. Anyway, it's the CC and JT Amateur Hour, where production values go to, you know, oh, to die. That's a great sound effect. Yeah, that's a great sound effect. Well, you know, production values. We, right, we, yeah, right. Does that mind. play into the whole maternity ward idea? <laughs> yeah, no anyway, across the table for me is CC. And across from me is JT. And we're here to provide... Um, Humor. Humor and uh, some insight and, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not really, we don't it's have It's going brain. to be one of those weeks, folks. It, we don't have a huge plan here. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of brainless. There's a, there's a few things going on which do, which causing that. First of all, hello, excuse me, I'm sorry, didn't mean to do that in your, hello, Summer. Summer did summer, decide but, to show up finally, yes. And with Summer comes... Allergies. Yes. Interestingly enough, as I was working on my manuscript yesterday, I kept getting that little notification. It shows you the weather, like wind is coming, it's hot. And then it said, high pollen count. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah, that would be a no shit Sherlock because, yeah, right now I feel like my, my voice is down in a d different tone because I'm all stuffed up and everything. You're doing and the very white. Yeah, and of course, Barry Watt. You know, love to love you, baby. Um, but um, along with um, allergies comes, you know, sleeplessness. Sleeplessness. So we're we're feeling a little loopy. Um, what? Loopy. Loopy. Tired. We're weary, but you know that's that's um, that's the joy of uh, you know being of a such an age. Well, I don't think it's just aging. I've noticed a lot of people seem to be having worse allergies these days, and there are a variety of reasons for it that we won't go into because that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. And we don't really want to turn this podcast into that kind of podcast where we just sit around and talk about our medication, you know, put things out <laughs> on ring about people that are making loud noises in our neighborhood. Get and, off my lawn. You know, things like that. We Get don't your want skateboard to turn, off my lawn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what we're more interested in doing is uh, giving you writing material, giving you writing inspiration, giving you writing ideas, because that's what this podcast is really all about. It's not so much... It's not so much, you know, about getting older. It's about uh, writing. We want it to be about writing. Well, and I think it's also about experience because with mm -hmm. age comes experience. Yeah. Wisdom, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Who knows? Something that we could do for you. But uh, as always, if y'all have some ideas that you want us to chat about, you know, let us know. Ring us up because you can reach us through our website at www.carsonhume.com and you can give us some ideas. And we would love to do it. We, we would just say, hey, um, one of our listeners, you know, one of our two listeners has, has an idea. We'd like to do that. And we really like our listeners. We really do like our listeners. Um, we're just uh, we're going to do a really quick current events because we have a big current events. Um, and so we're going to talk quickly about uh, our relative manuscripts. And I put a I put a, a Twitter thread out on my JT Hume Twitter account. And uh, whether we want to admit it or not, but we're probably going to be start migrating over the threads and, you know, minimizing Twitter. But that's down the road. We're not ready to do that just yet. But uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about my frustration with social media um, and a certain person because that's not what we're here for. But uh, I did put a Twitter thread out to talk about my current work in progress where I've been bouncing back and forth between the two manuscripts. And then I just sort of gave up on one manuscript and have moved over to the other. And it seems to be coming together pretty well because um, uh, this is the space epic for our regular listeners. And, it was, uh, you know, I keep proudly saying that it was 130,000 words. But the fact of the matter is, is probably about half of those words were as boring as possible. 
So I made the difficult decision to dump and start over. Now I'm not totally dumping it because I still have a general framework. I still have the 130,000 words so I can cut and paste or copy and paste over into the, the current one. But I've passed uh, thir 1,300 words on it this week. And so, no, that's not right. 13,000. 13,000 words on it this week. And that's by diligently, um, you know, sitting down and just writing for X number of minutes a day, a minimum of 30 minutes, which Cece and I have talked about before, is just sitting down and doing it. And that's given us, um, that's given me some value. So I'm working on this and it's better. Um, the main character in the first seven drafts were, was extremely boring. And so in draft number eight, um, I've uh, completely ruined his life. So, and oh, that that's better. fun. <laughs> and, and that makes it better. That makes it better. Because if you have boring characters, then readers cannot relate to boring characters. Readers cannot relate to boring characters. So it's, uh, it's really, really important that, that as a writer that uh, you, you make your characters interesting, flawed, and, uh, you know, having all sorts of problems. And I know that's, you know, book writing 101. But sometimes we lose we lose the uh, forest when we look at the trees. We look at the, I don't sure which way. Am I looking you can't at the, see the forest for the trees. Yeah, I can't see the forest for the trees. Can't see the problem right. when you're so caught up in the creation. So, okay, you said that readers cannot relate to boring characters. Is that the case, or do you think it's that readers maybe feel like their own lives are boring? And they want more excitement. Yeah, you know, that could be. And maybe they can relate to boring characters. They sort of see themselves yes. in the wallflowers, um, you know, as as we all used to be at one point in our lives. But um, we want to see the wallflower to grow. Watch them blossom. Watch them blossom. So uh, so I skipped that step and ruined, ruined, uh, ruined, uh, yes. ruined the main character's life. And maybe even I should modify that is they don't want to see main characters that are boring. They want to see main characters right. that are, that have problems that uh, that have potential. I'm not. I'm really not sure, but you know we'll work that out. Right. Okay. I blah 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 enough. Take a turn. How's your book going? <laughs> well, me. I'm in a similar situation where I restarted. I'm on draft two of this version of the book, and it is coming together well. I think I mentioned last night that I feel good about it. I'm still feeling good about it this morning. I may get into it today and decide I hate it because that happens. But some of the the threads with the last version, it was all over the place. I had too many characters. There was too much going on. And now the chain of events is organically bringing the story to the place where I want it to be in the end. And I a lot of that is thanks to your suggestions after having read my first draft because there were some things that I just kind of let drop and it wasn't going to be a pleasing story for anybody. So the uh, the current version I feel is coming together more organically and you know it's not like I'm throwing in a lot of duis machina to make things work the way I want them to. It's like these things are happening and this is what's happening as a result of it. So, um, as you said that you're on what, like the seventh iteration of your story that sometimes I think we do need to just keep going back and stirring the pot, yep. you know, you got your big soup pot over the fire and it's just kind of bubbling, but it's not quite congealed yet. Yeah. The problem was, is my story just wasn't bubbling. I managed to get to, you know, all those words down there. And, you know, as I said, half of them are probably, 
Well, half of them need to be stirred up. That's absolutely for sure. So that's where we're going with this. So, and I'm, so I am, um, I did preserve uh, some of the characters uh, from uh, the first drafts. And this is a character-driven book, so or draft. So I'm able to copy and paste that stuff in there and modify it as needed. But um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that, you know, yours is, is coming along. It had some potential, but it was... Uh, as I told you, um, it was all over the place. Yes. It was yes. really all over the place. And yes. um, there were a couple of storylines which I thought had value. I thought there was a storyline that I didn't think had any value because I didn't understand it at all. Yeah. So that's trying what I'm trying to focus on. And hopefully I'm kind of, I got what you were saying. I hope that I'm trying to express that. Mm -hmm. And I have asked our oldest, who is uh, not, writing right now but who is interested in writing related things um if at some point she might read it due to her busy schedule i would not be surprised if she doesn't but a lot of the events that happen in this book relate to events that she and i have experienced together so i'm looking forward to potentially getting a little bit more feedback as to whether what i've tried to portray is true to our experiences well, you could. The thing is, as I, I know what the main experiences you're referring to, and uh, you really uh, the, maybe the problem, or maybe the uh, maybe the ideal situation is, is you can pretty much do anything you want in that situation. Yes. You could go you could go absolutely crazy, but the, as I said, that could also be a problem because yes. there is so much. So um, you know, finding something that's um, in that situation, really anything can happen. And right. So, so find, picking something and focusing it, well, yeah. maybe not so much yeah. focusing it, but making it, you know, um, you know, making it. At least the main part of the story, like the main thread running through the story and then anything else that happens with yeah. it should somehow relate to that thread. Yeah, and it should make sense. That's what I'm going for. And hopefully, I feel like when this draft is done, I'll probably have to do another pass on it, maybe to clear up a few little smaller, I hope, mm -hmm. issues but like I said, I've dropped some characters. I've dropped some of the, not the story itself, but some of the ways the story was playing out. So I'm hoping it makes more sense. Yeah, and that's all good. That's all good. And that's just, you know, that's normal germination or yes. creation or evolution or whatever word you want to use uh, in the creating of a book. So for folks that are, you know, maybe struggling on their own, you're not alone. Everybody, yes. every writer goes through this. Every writer goes through this. And uh so, uh, so hopefully we've given you some, you know, support in that direction. Well, and also you mentioned that um, you weren't too excited with how your space epic was playing out, but you feel maybe that the story has enough value for you to continue with it. Oh yeah, since I'm you have keep been the rewriting main, it, I'm, it's it, still holding your interest. Yeah, it's it's the the. the, the the end is still, the uh, goal in the end is still good. It's just that, you know, some of the people just sucked. And they, needed some, they needed some changing. They right. Needed, they needed a new set of clothes, so to speak. So, <laughs> new uh, wardrobe. Yeah, new wardrobe. So it's all good. I, I, I just very briefly also want to touch on um, the, uh, the possibility of a sequel to the book that you and I wrote together, From Tundra to Tiara. And that we were probably going to make that a nano project. So I uh, just want to let folks know that that's in the back of our minds, too. Yes. And we're thinking about, well, we're actually not thinking about it, but we're trying to figure out, as we get closer, we will try to figure out how to come up with a uh, reasonable Well, uh, I sequel. think 
what we should do in that situation, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure my current draft will be done well before we can think about Nano in November. And the uh, some people do Preptober in October mm-hmm. for Nano. So maybe we could think about doing that, yeah. depending on where we are with our current works in progress. Yeah, and as some folks may be, who may be listening may say, why are you talking about you know, NaNoWriMo, which is a November event and then the October prep event, and it's July, and it's like, folks, I'm going to tell you for a fact, there are some weirdos out there that think about NaNo in December after well, it's done. there is, in either January or February, they have something, or they used to have something called EdmoRemo, where you would go back and edit what you wrote in November. Yeah. Also in July, and actually I think back in April, they do Camp Nano, where mm-hmm. it's a little bit more relaxed. It's not quite the you need 50,000 words in a month situation. And I know that for July, a lot of people are working on Nano right now. They're involved in Camp Nano. You have your cabins. You can work with people. And it can be a lot of fun. So check it out if you haven't. Yeah. Well, my point was being is that some, there are some folks that finish Nano. Yes. And then start thinking about what they're going to be writing in a in year. In the next year, yes. Or 11 months, but, you Well, know. I was watching a video of a, one of the authors I follow, and she was talking about setting quarterly goals for herself. Mm-hmm. Where uh, she does it from the business frame, from the writing frame, and there was one other that I can't think of offhand. But she said she comes up with 20 goals for a three-month period. She does not expect to get all 20 done because that's overwhelming. But that helps to drive what she does because she does, uh, her living is being a working writer and all of the business that goes along with that, including making these videos. And um, she's in a situation where she's also a caregiver for someone who has some chronic, uh, very difficult health problems. And so that kind of tends to affect her goals. But she's very... um, focused on at the end of the three months she looks at her goals she looks at what she has accomplished and she looks what she wants to do next so i think some of the people that look ahead to nano for the following year are maybe doing an annual goal setting and it works well and you know and and we should point out though that uh you know there's no one hard set uh set of goals right Um, and some people are not goal oriented they just sort of you know, float through life and then they touch the keyboard, write 80,000 words, and it's a New York Times bestseller. And, you know, and more power to you, whatever system right. works for you. But then there's those of us that have to set goals or we don't do something, sort of like what Cece and I are doing right now, where we're saying we're going to write 30 minutes a day mm-hmm. and we are loosely saying that it's going to happen at 630. Yes. But if we didn't set that goal, then it wouldn't happen. So, or it would be less resistant to happening. So, it's it's a it's a challenge, but we do recommend uh, you know if you having problems getting off the schneid, that's an old person talk. If you have problems getting inspired to sit at the keyboard to get enough to schneid, then uh, goal setting is a good idea, and it doesn't have to be anything terrific. It can be a teeny tiny little thing like I'm going to brew coffee for this writing session. And that that's a viable goal. Uh, so well, and that can also be a trigger for you that yeah. you know when you have your cup of coffee. Like on Sunday morning, we have our Jack in the Box coffee. We feel like we have to podcast. So once if we have Jack in the Box coffee another morning, sometimes we're like, should we do another random podcast? Because yeah. it starts to become an itch. Yeah, it's, it's and that can be a writing trigger too. And the other thing with doing the okay, I'm sitting down at six thirty to write. 
we're, we're setting a boundary so we can tell people, okay, this is my writing session. Please do not disturb me unless it's urgent. Yeah. This is my writing time. This is my job. I need to do this. Yep, yep, yep. And that's especially important for people that have a day job like CC. Um, because uh, you should see her when she comes in at the end of the day. Uh, she is a puddle of flesh uh, from her difficult job. And so, uh, but, and if we didn't say 6.30, then 6.30 wouldn't happen. So it's, yes. so knowing that she has to do that at, you know, throughout the day, she knows that no matter what happens, I'm going to be sitting down and doing my 6.30. That is, um, you know, that's that's a viable goal. Now, there's going right. to be some days where that's not going to happen because the day is just really, really terrible. Or and you wake fine. up at three thirty in the morning. You know, yeah, and, that, <laughs> and that's absolutely, you know, that's absolutely fine to miss it. But it right. is. But as they say, if you do something twenty times, it becomes a habit. And it will happen more often than not. Uh, I did miss a couple days this past week for various reasons, like waking up at three thirty in the morning due to allergies. But the um, I'm kind of making up for it during the weekend. And if it happens more often than not, it doesn't happen seven days in a row. But if you get five out of the seven days, you're doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so quick story. Um, patient goes to psychologist and psychologist and patient tells the psychologist, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not really comfortable in this world. I'm not really happy in this world. I mean, one example is my dishwasher. My, di I, you know, I fill it up. And I run it, and sometimes the dishes aren't clean. And that really, really frustrates me. And the psychologist says, well, then run it twice. Run it again. There are no rules. You're setting a boundary on yourself. The dishwasher is, your, the dishwasher is not the issue. The issue is that you're setting some, yourself up for something. So run the dishwasher twice. Or... Rinse the dishes before you put them in. Find a way to work around it. Yeah, you know, it, don't let the dishwasher, you know, wave the baton over your life. The dishwasher isn't the problem. No. Uh, and I don't want to say problem, but the dishwasher isn't the issue. Right. And so, so that's the quick story. So same thing to our listeners, both of you. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it, run the dishwasher twice. It's okay. You have our permission. Be flexible, but, uh, you know, find a way to write. And that does go back to what we were talking about initially on how we're rewriting our manuscripts. It's like, I finished this story. Why isn't it done? Yes. Well, go back and fix it. It yeah. doesn't have to be perfect. The first draft will never be perfect. Like you said, there is the occasional, oh my gosh, bolt of lightning. This is the best story ever. But even those need to be polished. Yeah. So you can find a diamond in the rough, but it needs to be polished and, you know, I don't know, some of the edges need to be trimmed off, whatever, but it's never perfect in the first iteration. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, be kind to yourself is what yes. we're really trying to say. Be kind to yourself. Don't put so much intense pressure on yourself where the pressure doesn't really need to be. And if anything that we've suggested in here, such as goal setting or running the dishwasher twice, doesn't, you know, doesn't jive with you, if it sort of makes your backbone sort of do a curly, you know, squiggly thing, then don't do it. You well, know, live in your own world. But... That is helpful in its own way because then you know, well, that's not going to work for me. So what will work? Yep. And then maybe you will think about it and something else will occur to you that would be really helpful. And if you do come up with those ideas, let us know because yep. we'd be very interested to hear about how other people do these things. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay, so after writing down dishwasher... <laughs>
<laughs> okay. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and talk into, get it, jump into the main meat of this podcast, which, um, is the maternity ward. Maternity ward. <laughs> so, um, now okay. you're all intrigued, aren't you? Because yeah, you're all intrigued. We're so. definitely but, not of an age to have a maternity ward. Yeah. Well, if you saw the uh, social media post that I, I made to, to advertise this podcast, you know exactly where, where I'm going with yes. this. Is, is, uh, this week, um, we had the dubious honor, or the whatever you want to call it, we had the dubious honor of welcoming a new life in, into the world. In our yard, apparently. In our yard. In our yard. So this doe has been hanging around for a couple of days. Uh, actually, more pretty. than a couple of days. It's been weeks, I think. Yeah. And, you know, it's really cute. It's really adorable. You know, you know, it's just like, you just sort of look at it. The big eyes and you the just eyelashes. Sort of go, oh. Yes. It's sort of cute. And it's just been hanging around. And, you know, it's a live and let live. We just, we, we let her, you know, we didn't, dis- we tried not to disturb her. We haven't uh, done the weeds and the mowing for, you know, a couple of weeks. Months. Yeah, because uh, we we don't want to scare her off because yes. she's gotten comfortable. And really, in the in the big scheme of things, so what on the weeds? So what? They you bother know? me, but I'll get over it. Uh, but the, we, but um, so uh, one morning, I after Cece's left her work, I'm sort of you know you know scratching my side, you know grumbling, going, oh man, it's another morning, and I look out the window and I see this little butt bouncing, sort of not bouncing away, but sort of tottering away, and I'm going, that's not there before. So I went to another window and I couldn't see it, and then a little bit later I saw it. And it was a brand new fawn, just brand new, right, right tiny, out of the oven. Tiny, so tiny, and you know, stumbling along as spindly little, little legs with all the stumbling along as little fawns do. And mom, of course, is eyeballing me, and I'm going, okay, no problem. I'll stay here. You, you know, and you know, she's she's taking care of little fawn, and it's just really, really, really adorable. And it's like, hey, you know, it's like the the circle of life. You know, it's like you could hear the Lion King some music in the background. Tina! Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's it's just it was just really really cool. And then they disappeared. Yes. Um, so we thought, oh, well, they've moved on. They moved on. But they keep coming back. They do. I think the fawn is too small to get out of the yard right now. Because on one side of our yard, we do have a half fence that's maybe three feet-ish mm-hmm. tall. And the fawn is definitely much smaller than, than that. So we know that Mama has left the yard because we saw her out yesterday. Yeah. She's tucking the fawn away somewhere in probably our weeds, which is fine. Um, which is another reason we may not be cutting them down anytime soon. But um, then they come back, and in the morning and the evening, we see Mama and the fawn out there together. And it is okay. so cute. Y'all say what you were saying this morning, this morning's adventures. So this morning, I was up around 5 o'clock, again, allergies. And, you know, it's beautiful. It's nice and cool. The sun is just coming up. And I look out. This is on our uh, north, the north side, side of our north house. Side. We have a series of kitchen windows that look out into our small yard. And they... Our bird area is out there where we watch birds, and they've kind of hunkered down in our bird area. And the so the mama is laying down, looking tired as mamas do, and the fawn is there. And the fawn has actually moved on to eating some of the leaves off the vegetation, which is like whatever. I want to relandscape anyway. It's getting a little rough out there, especially <laughs> now. But the uh, the fawn, you know, it chews for a minute, and then it goes over and kind of nuzzles up to mama for a minute and then it starts bouncing it does that cute little fawn like the bunny hops i guess you would call it like rabbits do it's just like boingy 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 very disney and uh then it comes back and it kind of headbutts mama and the the doe kind of hears i shifted or something the doe looks at me and i got the impression that she was like 
what am I going to do? You know, it's like, and that kind of leads in a little bit yeah. more to what we were talking you, about. You actually just there for a couple of minutes, just really just did a long train of what we were going to talk yes. about because it, it, because it's, it's human nature for us to perceive things and apply them using our own experiences right. and memories. And of course, uh, when it comes to animals, we call it anthropomorphizing anthropomorphizing so the the mother looking at you and sort of sighing yes. saying, what am i going to do is is the classic example of that and very I'm not, disney I'm, very bambi yeah <laughs> and i'm not i don't want to say the word because i'll be spitting all over cc every time i say it but anthropomorph anthropomorphizing thank you anthropomorphic um, anthropomorphic and it's so it's like um we're ascribing human emotions to animals basically yep. or inanimate objects even yeah. if you think about disney movies and beauty and the beast for example yeah, and uh, and there's value to that in writing as i said because um when we do that it helps us to relate to this thing relate to these things such as a newborn mother a mother with a newborn um which cc has a great deal of experience with as both being a mother and a grandmother but um, but her experience as a mother and a grandmother is 100% different from a deer's experience as a mother, as a grandmother, because, um, because for so many reasons. And well, both folks yes. can say for, well, there's the mechanics of it, you know, that, you know, there's the mammals and you mm -hmm. know, the uterus and whatever they call it in a deer. Uh, well, I'm but, sure it's the same thing. But one of the things that really stood out to me when you said that is as a mother of a human newborn, we would not just wander off and leave our newborn mm -hmm. alone right. while we go forage. It's not good for a human newborn is um, helpless, helpless for mm -hmm. a long period of time. Whereas the fawn is already on its legs. It's already eating leaves. It's probably only a few days old. And it's, and hi and it's hiding well. It's, it's hiding. hiding well during the day. So the that's one of the big differences offhand I can think about is that mama knows that she can go away She's feeling fairly safe in our little yard environment, yeah. safe enough to leave the newborn there mm -hmm. and go off and find food. So that's a big difference. Yeah. And, you know, I can't say that she's worried about the fawn. She may be, you know, I mean, there right. is definitely some kind of instinct going on there. Right. And the, and let's flip that over is that you're, you say that, you know, human mothers wouldn't do that. But we have heard of way too yes. many instances where human mothers will just abandon babies. They don't have that instinct. And we also know in the animal kingdom, for lack of a better phrase, we also know in the animal kingdom where there are mothers that do not tolerate their, their offspring true. and either eat them or leave them. So, right. Um, so it's... it's it, so there's a lot of things going on here with anthropomorphizing. <laughs> anthropomorphizing. You know, I, see, I didn't even get it there. Uh, but there's a lot of moving parts there. And um, and so, but this is a writing podcast, so we need to come back to the writing. I think we've established, you know, the... The, the idea. The idea. Uh, and how we have been indoctrinated from day one. From our earliest memories, yes. from when Goldilocks went into the went into the, you know, with the, the three bears, three bears, and you know ate their porridge and right. slept in, in their, their beds, beds. Uh, and so we have been indoctrinated to either consciously or subconsciously to assign human values and human ideas and human intellect intellect to uh, to animals which may or may not have any of that. We, right. you know, I'm not going to go down that road. I don't want to go too far down that road, nor do I want to go too far down the road of the issue of souls 
do animals have souls? And there are, you know, religions which have built up entire catalogs of ideas on the issue. I personally believe that they do because, you know, if heaven doesn't have a dog, then it's not heaven. Crossing the rainbow bridge type yeah, of situation. Yeah, again, another yes. another fantastic uh, anthropomorphization. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but that's, that's another fantastic example of how we have assigned human values to what is natural. Right. Life and death. Well, and we use that as a way to make sense of our own lives, I think, because in I'm currently watching Nimona, Mm -hmm. which I have not finished yet. So I'm not sure exactly how the story plays out or anything, but there are elements of the story where it's very fantastical and I can see where the story is going and why it was written this way. And I can see why they went in the direction they did with the environment mm-hmm. because it pulls us out of ourselves and we aren't so resistant to taking in the information. It, it, we kind of filter it subconsciously and it's not hitting you in the face with it. And that's one of the reasons we do anthropomorphize characters is that, you know, looking at the mama deer sitting in the yard, if there was a woman with a baby sitting in my yard, it would be a totally different yeah. experience because I'd be out there going, are you okay? Can we help you? Yeah. But we know we're going to leave the deer alone. Even so, we're still watching the deer. We're kind of making sure they're doing okay. We're seeing that, you know, nature is happening the way it should. Yep. And uh, so we're taking in that information, but we're not really interacting with it. And I think stories are the same way. And we also know whether we want to admit it out loud or not, and I'm going to, is, is what we could be watching is a tragedy unfold. Yes. Because, um, because the, the doe, both the doe and the fawn are at their most defenseless time of their lives. Yes. And um, the doe is very aware of the dogs in the neighborhood. And it, it would be, uh, their lives could change in an instant. So right. we could be watching a tragedy unfold. But it wouldn't be, and I, I, you know, I, I know that people are going to push, push back on this, but it wouldn't be a tragedy tragedy to them it would be a tragedy to us because you know we obviously we've got We're some affection now yeah we, uh, we've we sort of attached ourselves but it wouldn't be a tragedy to them it would be their life unfolding right as as it would in in a normal situation it wouldn't matter if they lived up in the mountains or they lived down here in the valley you know mm-hmm. the one dog one fox one bear coyote a, a car Oh, that's a big one around here because we have a lot of deer in town Mm -hmm. and frequently we will see a deer with a broken leg because it's had a run in with a car or it's gone wrong over a fence. You know, it's in an urban environment. A lot of extra problems crop up for animals where that they might not have out in nature. But my point being is, is that it would be a tragedy for, for us. us. Yes, and that may be where the line is. Is it, it wouldn't be? It would be a tragedy for us, but it would be just you know another day at the office for for the deer because that's the normal their normal state of affairs. That's why, that's why you know uh, anatomically, that's why their eyes are on the side of their head instead of front because they need to have as much vision as possible to pick up predators and problems, uh, whereas humans obviously with our eyes mostly in the front. We, we don't have that issue. Uh, we, we focus on things that are in front of us, whereas animals such as deer with eyes on each side of their head need that, that, that span of vision in order to keep an eye out. But if, if something like that were to happen, we would feel sad. We, we would, would be feel, traumatized. We would be traumatized. But the, again, uh, we don't know enough about deer psychology other than to believe that it would just be another day at the office for them. And so, I mean, I would like to think that the mama deer would be sad, would be upset in some way that she lost mm-hmm. her offspring, but the mama deer and the baby deer 
as far as I know, once the baby can take care of itself, they just part ways. Yep. I mean, they don't hang out in a family unit for a long period of time, as far as I know. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have seen herds of deer. Some of them may be parent offspring situations. But in most cases, you know, I think they kind of go out and fend for themselves. So like you said, it's their perception of life and mm-hmm. living life is very different from our perception of it. And because we've been indoctrinated so heavily on this, you know, I'm thinking something simple like, you know, well, not simple, like Watership Down. Oh, my gosh. Watership Down. Old um, Yeller. You know, <laughs> you know, Bambi, obviously. Yes, the Lion King. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yes. et cetera. That if so, when thing, bad things happen in our opinion, in our perception right. to animals and we are sad, um, it's not a shared perception, maybe, uh, with the animal kingdom. Right. You know, it's, it just, it's just the way it is. And so how does this all come back to writing? How does this all come back, back to writing? And it's, 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 it's something that I think that each writer needs to be aware of is where that line is. Now, uh, we're not saying don't write like that, you know. We, we, oh, no, we, there are some great stories that are oh, written God. that way. And, you know, as much as, you know, Cece and I both read Watership Down, the world needs more books like Watership Down because yes. it's not just a book about rabbits. It's no. A, it's a book about governments. It's a book about real life. It's a book about tragedy and war and so on and so forth yep. that, that uses rabbits as a metaphor. Right. So the world definitely needs more Watership Down books. But in creating those books, I feel that it is important that the writer, the author, be aware of where that line is. That tragedy is not universal. Right. And of course, uh, the flip side of that is joy is not universal either. It's true. Because, um, because um, how did the doe feel after she finally got Junior out of her? Well, we would think relieved. Yeah, we would hope that she would be relieved, but we don't right. know. Right. So, but uh, what, but was she happy? Was she happy that she had accomplished an incredibly difficult task? Um, that, um, you know, led to the creation of life. Uh, and it's probably, you know, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I would think probably not. You know, okay, I did we my don't ju- know. We don't know. You know, it's like, I had this heavy thing inside me. This heavy thing is outside of me. Now I got to do X, Y, Z. And those thoughts probably never occurred. But here we are. So, right. um, so I think that for to write effectively, to write an effective book like Watership Down, which obviously was effective because it's still... You know, decades it later, lingers. It lingers. With decades later, it's it's stuck with us. Yes. Um, I, I think that the and I don't know remember who the writer was for Watership Down, but uh, CC's going to look it up. And if you already know it, then more power to you. But um, because it was such an effective book, uh, I think that the the writer had a clear idea of that line, and so that is what we want. Uh, that's what we're trying to kind of come across here is what is the... Richard what, Adams. Richard Adams. Thank you, Mr. Adams. Um, thank you. Um, anyway, I'm sort of floundering here. What do you think? Well, I think it is very valid to consider the fact that if you are writing a story from an animal point of view, you have to decide whether you are doing it as an animal, which will be difficult mm-hmm. because we don't know how... Like you were saying, we don't know if animals have emotions. We don't know if they think about things in the way we do. But if you're writing an anthropomorphized character and you're ascribing human emotions to an animal, it's a different situation because you can use any emotion you want. You know, some of them, like you said, there are some human mothers 
that do not have a maternal instinct and for one reason or another they will abandon their baby or something will happen something very tragic to us as a human and you can ascribe those emotions to an animal but it has to be within the framework of your story yeah, and i think the classic example which um, you know which i hesitate to use and if your name is phoebe buffet you want to turn this <laughs> off right now uh is um you know old yeller yes um old yeller the the very loyal very uh very strong character uh that you know you know gets rabies and um yeah and we are very uh we are not we are sympathizing very deeply with the young boy but we're also sympathizing very strongly with old yeller because man you can just it's hear my voice it's not his fault it's, you can hear my voice choking him right now because yep. he's done his duty he protected his family and his little boy his boyfriend is approaching with a gun yes and it's like oh man so uh where so where do you you know there there's a whole there's a whole value or a whole set of anthropizing going on right there. Right. Uh, where And it can be traumatic when yeah. you're reading that because yeah. in that case, it was a dog. It was a faithful dog. And there are other stories where you're talking about a faithful dog. For example, there are stories, I think they started in Japan, where an older person had passed away or, an, you know, the, the dog's human had passed away and the dog spent years and years mm -hmm. waiting for their human to come back. Yeah, back at the subway, the subway yes, station. Yes, Right, yeah, you're exactly and right. And I think and, that was, I think that was initially Japanese. Yeah, and they, uh, and then when the dog passed away, they actually put, put, built a statue there. Yes, yeah, yeah so that's, that's another situation where the dog is a dog yeah. and, you know, we're ascribing human emotions to the dog, but the dog does seem to have been showing a lot of faith to mm -hmm. their human yeah. And I won't say that, you know, the human was the owner of the dog. There was a relationship there. Yeah. And actually, I'm listening to a Michael J. Fox audiobook right now, and he is talking about a relationship with a dog where um, everyone knows that Michael J. Fox has some issues with Parkinson's disease, and he needed something to help him when his kids moved away. And um, so he does ascribe a little bit of, you know, there's some kind of connection with the dog. Right. And maybe he is anthropomorphizing the dog a little bit. But it does help us as humans to have those kind of feelings yeah. for animals. Yeah, so this is, this is a way complex situation, a way complex, uh, way complex uh, method when it comes to we as writers when we're sitting down and uh, creating animals and... Uh, making them characters, making them fully fleshed out characters, and perhaps, um, how do I say this, um, especially as a former dog owner or former cat owner, we know that they're people, but they're not. And I know I'm going to probably get, you know, people are going to push back on that because... They're family members. They're, they're family members. Yes. But um, whether or not they are, you know, people is a whole, whole different thing. And it's, uh, you know... Well, and... We don't personally have pets at the moment. We don't have animals in our house. We don't have furry family members. But we have a lot of what I call my grand fur babies. Mm -hmm. We have dogs and cats in the family, and quite a few of them. And we do ascribe different personalities to them. They do display different characteristics. They're all very different. And, um, you know, we are ascribing characteristics to, like, their personality traits based on our human experiences. So... They do respond to us differently, but maybe that's partially because the, of the way we respond to them. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting because of our, um, for example, our grand fur puppy, King, who's a pit bull. Um, 
has the most malleable face I've ever seen in my life. And it looks like he's smiling and happy. He can look very sad. And is that because he's feeling those emotions or is that because I think he's feeling those emotions? And am I anthropomorphizing him? Or, and also is he just a very a incredibly good mimic? Right. You know, these, uh, uh, boy, yes. these, and this is a subject which is almost all outside of our, our experience. Oh, but, yes. But as writers, it's these are things that we, you know, in order to to be effective writers, we need we to think be, about these. We things. need to think about these yep. things and see what's the best way to convey them. Um, how do we wrap this up? How do we wrap this up? Well, um, these can be fun stories to write. As we've mentioned, there are quite a few different stories that we've probably all had experience with in anthropomorphizing both animals and inanimate objects. Another one that comes to mind is the brave little toaster. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many different ways you can do this type of writing, and it can be a good way to separate your reader from lived experience and maybe teach them something that they wouldn't want to read about or in any other read, example. Teach them perception and perspective. Yes. You know, see things and perceive things for in, a, in a way that we as humans would not normally perceive them. Well, and I think they would learn something. It's not hitting you in the face with a specific lesson. It's like you're gradually taking in the information like, oh, I know what you're trying to say. You can't tell me this, but they're more like, oh, well, what's going to happen next? And then they start learning it kind of um, organically. So it, I think it's a good way of presenting information to people where they're not so resistant to taking it in. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great summary. Uh, especially when we, uh, you know, especially when we want to talk about souls and emotions and uh, whether lived or not, experiences, yeah, and so it's so many different things. So many different things. So I think that's good. Okay. Uh, so what do you think, folks? Uh, are we completely full of hooey, as I like to say every once in a while? <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, full, you know, persnickety. Uh, or um, is did something we say ring true, or did something we say completely, you know? Put a part of burns your saddle, uh, which which is possible because especially if um, you know we as you said we know people that have numerous pets and they are yes. family members, uh, and they feel that they are absolutely uh, emotional thoughtful creatures. Yes. Whereas there's the other end of the scales where we you know the you know anthropologists or whatever you want to call them, you know have questioned that because it doesn't uh, it doesn't survive the scientific theory. So uh, what do you think? Well, yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Let us know. What is your perception what of it? What is your perception? What is your what are your ideas? What value uh, do you think that you can bring to the discussion because we would love to hear it. And if you can think of any other stories that we haven't mentioned here that maybe we haven't experienced for ourselves, we'd be interested in hearing about those too. Oh, God knows there's plenty of them. There's I know. plenty, plenty of and them. And it's always interesting to hear maybe from another culture that this is a story that we have no knowledge of, and then we learn more about another culture that way. Okay. Okay. Well, so we, uh, we really covered the gamut to this time. We did. Sorry about that, I thought it was folks. going to be fluffy, but it turned pretty deep. Yeah, pretty pr pr turned pretty interesting and honestly we're trying to wrap this up because we want to go out and see if the fawn is back <laughs> <laughs> i think the fawn is asleep for the day we Aww, won't see it until tonight bummer. okay um you notice that we haven't named them yet because we we're trying to avoid that no because, that's yeah it's like i said we we want to avoid you know what could be a tragedy to us well know? and someday the two of them will just disappear from our yard and we <laughs> won't know what happened to them hopefully they will have good lives but they're just going to go away because they're not attached to us. They're just using our area as a safe space. So yep. 
we're not getting too attached to them. Yeah, and if you believe that, I've got a, <laughs> I got a bridge in Nevada for you, folks. Okay, um, okay, we're 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 going to wind this up. Uh, if you want to hear this podcast or other podcasts or check us out on social media, you make a make a stop over at our website at www.carsonhume.com. And you'll get links to all sorts of fun stuff and uh, ways to contact us. And um, uh, I can't really think of anything else other to say other than to say, uh, folks, please be, uh, enjoy the summer carefully. Um, you know, be, be aware that uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, things are very, very hot right now. Uh, and and uh, flammable. And flammable. So please, please be careful. Any other last thoughts? I hope everybody who's been affected by the gigantic Canadian wildfires is safe and, mm. um, you know, out of the worst of the smoke um, and this includes the northeastern United States they're getting a little bit of what we frequently experience here on the west coast so uh, I my heart goes out to everybody who's being affected by those big tragic events which are also kind of natural events that are just being exacerbated by human interaction yeah and like you said they're natural events for us over at the west coast we haven't yeah. we haven't had our big fire yard our big series of fires but we will be getting them here knock on because wood. that's that's you know we We'll be living in our smoke smoke pit here yeah, relatively Before soon. too long. Yeah. But the uh, things have been so wet and uh, cool up to this point that hopefully maybe this one won't be so bad. But yep. we never know. As for next week's podcast, we have no idea. As usual. As usual. So, But uh, we hope that you found some stuff interesting in this one. And, you know, I think it's time we let these folks get back to their lives. So sitting across from me is CC. And across from me is JT. Thank you all for listening. And again, if you think that we said something that's completely wrong or completely right, let us know. Otherwise, y'all have a wonderful week and take care of each other. Bye-bye.